Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, everybody? It is a beautiful, beautiful Friday here in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast coming at you not live once again because we don't want to fix our hair. Get over, just get over it. Yeah. I'm plus, a, I had surgery on this ear that would yeah. everybody would see. Charlie's ear will look terrible on camera. You guys yeah. don't want to see it. We're Who hoping wants to see the Dumbo ear. We're hoping that the swelling goes down by Monday, yeah. so we can start back live. Char- Charlie's over there. Are you feeling better? Are you are you feeling better overall? Much better today. Good. Today's a better day. This morning, I felt really good. Uh, I did have to lay down for just a bit, you know, but overall. Today's a good day. Okay. I, you know, I noticed you've kept in the better intro song. I, you know, <laughs> the problem was the the royalties that we were having to pay out for the previous oh, intro was, song yeah, was too high. Just way too yeah. high. So now we're using this intro from a band called Three Pill Morning. Look them up on iTunes, on Facebook. Follow them. Real, real great band that Charlie used to grace with his bass presence. Yeah. Um, really good guys. And, you know, they're still going even after I had left the band they're still going still playing still touring still writing songs i think they're about to drop do you remember music do you remember touring with that band much some some of it yeah yeah those are back in the days where (laughs) you know rock and roll was at its peak i had a this is a bit of a serious comment but i was thinking about this the other day you know we, we both did the music thing and i spent so long i'm sorry this is serious to start off i spent so long trying to get as far as i could in music just that was my dream for sure and charlie and i did this together for a long time we were in bands together and then we we split apart and joined different bands and the band i was in you know we did some great stuff i finally you know got to see myself on mtv got to act in the commercial you know got to hit billboard charts and stuff like that and just as a public service toward toward the world toward all over the place several different countries and all the states all that good stuff and what I was going to say, what I was thinking about was, this is a good announcement for you guys. And just take it, you know, take it seriously. Um, I don't remember any of it. I really don't remember any of it. And I was thinking the other day just about how I tried so hard and uh, we, we sacrificed so much sleeping in a van down by the river for years trying to get to this point. And then I finally got to the point where I was doing those things and I was just messed up out of my mind just the whole time. I'm sorry, mom, if you're listening, but when I started drinking and I just started being drunk all the time, I did all these great things and I was just drunk the entire time, the whole time. Yeah. I barely remember any of it and it's all gone now luckily i was a much higher performing alcoholic (laughs) so i remember more than you do (laughs) yeah and so just no we did used i mean you know just listen guys to drink a lot listen you young kids out there drinking alcohol and you know having a good time you know that's all fine in moderation if you can do it in moderation which i could not that's why i don't drink anymore that's all fine but don't drink away all of your good experiences just don't you know, don't think that it's going to be way better if you just get to the point that you're going to pass out tonight, because if you do have a good time, you might not even remember it. And so uh, just don't do that. Now that you've kind of mentioned this, how long have you been sober? Um, let's see. I, let's see about 18 months now. Yeah. 18, almost 19 months, almost 19 months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah coming up. So congratulations, man. Thank That's you. awesome. I mean, thank I already you. knew that as yeah. your best friend, but yeah. On the podcast, now I can say congrats. Dude. You can. And it, that was a big decision. That was a really big life change. Um, you know, it's a, it wasn't very easy. It's very it's really easy now. I really don't you know, I really don't think about it anymore. We may seem perfect, obviously, because <laughs> we're that good on this show. That's you know, we may obvious. seem like yeah. we grew up perfectly, we've had perfect lives, everything's been handed to us, but no, we faced adversity. We did. And Nate you know, 19 months ago, you had some real serious adversity. I really did. I put yeah. myself in, in some really, really bad positions. Like I said, if you can handle drinking in moderation, obviously, I mean, do it. Have a good time. Have a few drinks. Don't drink and drive. It's not worth it. But do that. And, and if you realize that you can't do things in moderation, 
uh, then be honest with yourself and uh, just go go extreme like I did. And, and there's just go zero. There's help out there. There there is. Yeah. Yeah. There's alcohol. Alcohol is very serious. It's a very serious drug. Yeah. And uh, it, it really is. It's it's honestly about the most dangerous thing that's out there. Statistically, you know? it is the danger. Yeah. The most I mean, dangerous. I mean, you would eliminate like <laughs> like half of violent crimes yeah. would be gone if you eliminated yeah. alcohol. You know, like it's what's that Jordan Jordan Peterson kind of jokes about it, but he wrote, you know, he wrote his thesis on alcoholism uh, for his doctorate, and he kind of jokes that you know, um, I think it's half of all violent crimes are committed by somebody that's drunk, and then half of those are from a family member. Yeah. So he was like, if you want to get murdered, think about that next time you're drinking with your family at Christmas time. Just don't drink and don't hang out around your family. Right. You know, and you, and you won't get murdered. Your chances of getting murdered really decrease a lot. But anyway, guys, we'll get to politics. We're going to talk about Virginia real quick. We're going to talk about um, something that Milton Friedman had to say about our responsibility to help the poor and welfare. And I was going to tell you guys real quick. We have a very special opportunity. If you go to the show notes, you'll see a link to gmlconnect.com. The very first button you're going to see on there is a link to support the show. But what this does, we have set it up where you can set up a $3, $5, $10, $20 a month donation to the show that will go directly to Facebook ads, directly into getting the message out there. And not just Facebook ads with our faces on them, you know, with our podcast. We'll run ads on articles that disprove socialism, that talk about how terrible the wealth tax is. We'll run ads. If you go do this subscription, you tell us what you want to run Facebook ads on, and we will dedicate that money to running Facebook ads about taxation, about welfare, about Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, whatever it is that you want to Everything run those that Facebook promotes ads. promotes liberty. Anything promoting liberty, liber liberty which is yeah. like liberty. You know, it's the drunk version. It's a, the drunk version of liberty. L liberty. Yeah. So you guys want to pro liberty us, then just go ahead and go to gmlconnect.com. Okay. And we'll put the link to that in our show notes. Did you relapse? I did just, just, now? just now. I just relapsed. I'm That's a joke. Starting day one tomorrow. That's a joke, Lacey. <laughs> okay. So this thing's going on in Virginia. We had a listener ask us if we were going to go to the Virginia rally, which we have discussed, still haven't made a decision on. I think that would be really cool. And it would be way more legit news agency for us to go to Virginia. Yeah. It's going to, it's a bit of a drive. We'll see if we can send there. the intern out there. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Let's hire someone in Virginia. Yeah. Actually, just make them join the podcast. Actually, if anybody's in Virginia <clears throat> listening to this, hit us up. Yeah. So you just read an article saying that uh, Antifa is going to be uh, out there protesting along with the gun owners that are going to be out there. I did from the I think it was from the Daily Ma uh, the Daily Caller. Yeah. And um, uh, I just saw an article today saying that the FBI had arrested three people who were working on a plot to basically make this protest violent, basically to 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 make it to where the gun owners someone ends up messing up and using their gun while they're there and having this turn into a violent bloodbath a, a very violent thing where obviously the gun owners are going to win but it's going to be really bad for gun ownership yeah. if something like that happens so i wanted to say to anyone who's going to be at the virginia protest or rally or whatever it's called be smart with your gun if you're taking a gun to the rally to go out there be a smart responsible and safe gun owners uh, gun owner you probably will not have to use your gun at the rally actually you're not going to have to use your gun at the rally there's going to be tons of police officers there if you want to be insanely smart you know maybe don't send yourself with a whole bunch of ammunition you know or you know maybe not any just have your gun out there just so it'll just so it'll piss people off you know, so what I'm saying is don't let them turn this into a, a beautiful liberal talking point, which is that it's dangerous when gun owners come into a public area. Right. And that's there could be some crazy loony leftist people out there that are going to try to do this, that are going to try to ensue some some incite some kind of violence there. And no matter how mad you are, no matter how upset you are, it's not worth it. Don't draw your gun. 
don't fire any guns. Don't do anything that is going to reflect poorly on the rest of the gun owners in America. Just be smart about it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I I would say pay attention. I mean, that's the biggest thing that's going to um, help you out in in that situation is pay attention to what's happening and uh, make sure you don't do anything stupid yeah just don't be an idiot don't don't do anything dumb now come on (laughs) Uh, this just (laughs) in jeffrey epstein did not kill himself and also breaking news breaking news he did not kill himself this just came across our radar today here it is a news story from every news agency in the world epstein didn't kill himself i also saw he wasn't very environmental i know on his island i'm surprised trash everywhere i'm surprised we didn't see anything about this earlier now finally the the leftist liberals in hollywood are going to finally hate jeffrey epstein finally because he was not very environmentally conscious with his with his island oh apparently he was dumping waste and yeah all kinds of stuff so hey rest assured they might get him on something finally i do have a question for you yeah a little bit of speculation here okay do you think the the prince and the princess who are leaving the royal family do you (laughs) think it has to do with the epstein i don't know I don't know. That's some that's some conspiracy talk right there. What's, you know, I I have no idea. You know, he still thinks that somebody killed his mom, Princess Diana, right? Yeah. Um, and this is uh, sorry, Prince Harry, <coughs> Prince Harry, right? And Angela Merkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somebody killed his mom. He still thinks that, right? And maybe he's afraid someone's going to kill his wife, and so maybe this whole Epstein thing—they're trying to protect the other prince, um, William. I don't know. I do not yeah. follow anything about whoever the royal was implicated, family whatsoever. Whoever was implicated with the Epstein, I got gotcha. you. Uh, uh, scandal. So whoever yeah. was implicated in that, who met with um, Epstein, who has actually been accused of of raping and molesting a seventeen or sixteen year old girl, I believe, a, a few times. Maybe you know. Maybe Prince Harry and Angela Merkel trying to, uh, trying to, yeah, maybe something tells me get themselves out. Something tells me, um, we'll never know. Uh, something tells me that we're just <laughs> never going to know. It'll always be covered up. Yeah. The only thing we know is that he didn't kill himself. Uh, and so, they should hopefully continue an investigation and bring everybody down. We had a message from one of our Instagram followers. Shout out to, let me see if I can get this right you know it's all one word so it could be it could be a Danetta Rantelli or it could be Dane Eterantelli or it could be I think it's Dane Tarantelli is what it is so shout out to this person this person said uh, just wondering if sometime on your show you can talk about the welfare state and explain Milton Friedman's negative income tax in more depth and if you think that should be implemented I've uh, been reading Friedman and Soul lately and just wanted to know your opinion on it. And uh, he said, I guess the broad question would be, what is society's responsibility to the poor? Okay, so that's a good question. We, we appreciate that. And we Great appreciate question. that as a topic today. First off, I, I kind of forgot about the part of the negative income tax. But, you know, Friedman talked about the negative income tax positively as a replacement for the system that we have right now. Now, As a step towards uh, liberty. Uh, Like we would be freer if we did it that way. Basically because it would take less bureaucracy, it would take less administration, it would be more efficient than the actual system that we have right now. Because we spend about 30 to 40% of Social Security, Medicare, uh, welfare, all that gets spent on administrative costs. Yeah. I mean, the federal government has like, 3 million employees or something like that. Yeah. And, and so in that sense, I agree with Friedman's discussions on it, that it would be better than what we have right now. I, I agree with that as a replacement for and the current places, welfare system. It places a responsibility on the individual to allocate their, their negative income tax or their yeah. ba- universal basic, basic income. It places a responsibility on them to be responsible with their choices for that money. So it's not like money towards SNAP, money towards housing, money towards these different things. It's one thing you use your money wisely. So I, I get it. I get why that would be a better system than the current system. I agree with that. Now, do I agree with it as an economic system overall? No, 
No, no, I don't agree with it whatsoever. Um, I think that if you're going to guarantee people a $20,000 payment, that's going to immediately hurt, first off, everyone who creates a job. That's something that you're competing with immediately. It's going to immediately spike the price uh, for labor around the entire country, which will spike the price of products around the entire country. It'll it'll end up just meaning this is basically what happens. If everyone gets this guaranteed twenty thousand, well, why would you go work at a minimum wage job at that time? Why would you go work somewhere where you would only make twenty thousand dollars a year? You wouldn't. So as a business owner, you'd have to make sure that someone's going to make enough money for them to justify not sitting on their butt on the couch watching Netflix all day. So that might end up having to be like $30,000 or $35,000. I don't even think $25,000 would do it. I think they would say, I'd rather take $20,000 for free and not have to do anything than work all the time and make $25,000. So you're talking, you'd have to you'd have to start your minimum payments for the most basic jobs where people would have to make like at least 30 to $35,000 a year. And all that's going to do is raise the prices of everything. That's why the, that's why the, the negative income tax or the universal basic income, it's not a solution because it resets, you know, if everyone gets 20,000, then 20,000 becomes the new zero. It equalizes everyone, and twenty thousand is now the same as zero. So it's it it doesn't it doesn't help you get ahead because the prices of everything raise whenever whenever you put that in place. And now twenty thousand dollars is not going to be enough money to pay for the things that you want anymore. And now people who are just getting the negative income tax are not going to have enough money to do anything because the price of everything went up. So it's not a solution. I think, I don't know, you probably adjust it based on, you know, jobs or whatever. I, I think you, you wouldn't just start out giving everybody 20000 a year, right? I mean, I don't think that's exactly what Friedman was arguing for. They were basically arguing for whatever the poverty level is, pretty much, making sure that everyone at least earned that much money. That's like what the universal basic income is. So everyone gets at least that much money to where they're above the poverty threshold. Gotcha. And th- that's what a lot of people have argued anyway. <clears throat> Which right now for a single person is, uh, what, 14,000, 12,000? Yeah, I don't know. I know that 18,000 something is is kind of a, a common figure, but that might be for a, for a household. Family of four. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, it's just, it's better than what we have right now. It's not a good system. It's well, the other thing it would do too, though, is like, since it's a negative income tax, you would only qualify if you paid taxes. Yeah. You know, so it does thwart giving welfare or at least benefits, I would say, to illegals because Milton Friedman argued the only good immigration is illegal immigration is illegal immigration because illegals don't qualify for the benefits. Yeah. So it becomes a net benefit to America for to have illegal immigrants versus having legal immigrants that qualify for benefits. And of course, as libertarians, our real our only issue with completely free immigration is the idea that you could come here. I think it's I think it's pretty much everyone's basis even though they'll use safety. Safety is a scapegoat for anything that you ever want to do. But I think the main basis is the idea that someone could come here, not pay into the system and then be able to take money out of that system that they're not paying into. And yeah, it just it, suck on the system teat. So the problem with completely free immigration is not immigration itself, it's the welfare state. Because if you don't have the welfare state, if you don't have a even a UBI, or you don't have all the programs that we have right now, then every single person who comes into the country would have to be a benefit to the economy. Right. They would have to, because there's no money to take out of the system. Exactly. So you would want as much immigration as possible at that time. But unfortunately, we don't live within that system. Right. right and now. that's what people used to come to America for, to build a better life. Yeah. And I think that's Not why to take. I think that's, that's why, why most, most people, people yeah. come here. Yeah. Yeah. To build a better life, not to take from America's riches, if you want to call it that. No, no. They're here to make a better life because the opportunity in America is still much greater than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. You're still as almost as free as possible to create anything from nothing. I mean, I love watching Shark Tank. You've got 13 year olds in there making deals with billionaires on all their inventions and all kinds of cool stuff. You know, the, the, the opportunity 
to become as rich as you could possibly ever be for generations is still here in America. Yeah. Yeah. It's a land of it's God's country. So talking about welfare, um, we've got, you know, the Trump administration has issued some new rules uh, specifically on the SNAP, uh, which we would know as food stamps. People still call it that. So it's like supplemental nutrition assistance program or something like that. So they, they set out some new rules. And I'm going to read an article. Uh, I put this one in the wrong order real quick. Let me go to this one from USA Today. I'm going to read an article uh, talking about the negative, more liberal side of the the new requirements, the new work requirements, and then we'll talk about we'll talk about what our, what our responsibility is for the poor. So this article is entitled "700,000 People Could Lose Food Stamps Under Trump Administration's New SNAP Rules." This is from USA Today. In a move that will knock hundreds of thousands of people off the federal food stamp rolls, the Trump administration on Wednesday formally tightened work requirements for the program that helps feed more than 36 million Americans. Eligibility for food stamps, uh, also, uh, known as SNAP, is based on a formula that takes into consideration family size, citizenship status, household income, and certain expenses. It can apply to individuals as well as families. The new rule, which was finalized by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, restricts states from exempting certain work-eligible adults without dependence from the steady employment requirement in order to receive SNAP benefits. The change, which takes effect on April 1st, 2020, does not apply to children and their parents, those over 50, or those with disability or pregnant women. So that's an important point to note already because I've already seen tons of people on the left talking about how this is going to harm poor families with children who are, you know, starving and who are hungry and these kids aren't going to be able to get food and the elderly aren't going to be able to get food and people who are disabled. The new rules do not apply to people who have children, anyone over 50, anyone who is disabled or any women or men that are pregnant. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Wow. So, just so we can get that out in the open there. When the new rule change was first proposed in February, the USDA estimated that as many as 750,000 people would be dropped from the program. It revised that figure on Wednesday to 688,000. Imagine that. They were off by almost 100,000 people in their estimation. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue said in an opinion column published by the Arizona Daily Star on Wednesday that the food stamp program was never intended to be a way of life, which is, which is true. Yeah. Uh, he said, quote, Americans are generous, generous people who believe it is their responsibility to help their fellow citizens when they encounter a difficult stretch. Government can be a powerful force for good, but government dependency has never, made, has never been the American dream. We need to encourage people by giving them a helping hand, but not allowing it to become an indefinitely giving hand. During, that, uh, during what Purdue called the strongest economy in a generation, uh, we need everyone who can work to work. Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer of New York said, oh, Chucky Schumer. <laughs> said Wednesday that the new rule would potentially throw hundreds of thousands off food assistance, driving the vulnerable into hunger just as the Christmas season begins. So this was uh, a little bit ago, a couple months ago. This is cruel and exposes a deep and shameful hypocrisy in this administration, he said in remarks on the Senate floor. Brandon Lips, Deputy Undersecretary for the USDA's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services, said the change would save roughly $5.5 billion over five years. So a billion a year. Yeah, a little (laughs) over a billion a year if you want to talk in yearly figures. He said the department estimates that 74% of the work-eligible adults without dependents are not working. Hmm. Under long-standing rules, adults age 18 to 49 who are work-eligible and have no dependents can receive only three months of SNAP benefits during a three-year period if they do not meet the 20-hour-a-week work requirement. States with high unemployment rates or a demonstrable lack of sufficient jobs, however, can waive those time limits. The department's announcement noted that just over 17 million people received SNAP benefits in 2000 when the unemployment rate was 4%, while 36 million were receiving them in 2019 when the unemployment rate is 3.6%. 
The new rule makes 6% the minimum unemployment rate for a county to receive a waiver. The department said that there are a wide range of ways for people to keep their benefits under the new rule through SNAP-funded employment and training programs. The new rule also tightens the state's ability to roll over any unused exemptions into the next year. Okay, so that's the article right there. So what they basically did here was they had these requirements for work. But if your state had a high enough unemployment rate, then the state could waive the rules, basically, and keep you on food stamps. Another part that's not in this article is that the, the government, the federal government, was paying for most of these services. This rule actually put in place that for every $4 that the federal government puts in, the state must kick in a dollar. So the states have to start covering 20% of the food stamp costs. So the states obviously don't like that. Right. Okay. Now, it's pretty simple in here to be able to maintain yourself on SNAP to keep this going. All you have to do is be applying for jobs to be in and out of employment or to be participating in a training program to be participating in some type of a work program. And I believe also in here is there's a rule you could be uh, volunteering for charitable organizations and still be able to receive your SNAP benefits. So you just need to do something you with to, your life. You need to do something. Yeah. Do something. Isn't yeah. there a, there's a song by Aldous Snow. <laughs> we got to do, do something. something. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, to me, you know, talking about how terrible this rule is, I don't understand this need to want to keep people on these programs when all you have to do is tr be trying to get a job first off to still be able to uh, to be able to be on the program. This isn't even applying to people who have children or who who are elderly or disabled or anything like that. But of course, this has to come down as like this terrible, evil thing where we're taking people off of food stamps. It's literally, it's all it is, is adults aged 18 to 49 who are work eligible. Yeah. Which means they're not disabled. They're nothing like that. They don't have any dependents. So there's no kids involved. Um, and they're basically not working. And yeah. they're still receiving benefits. And all their, the, the rule change is, is like, eh, we're not going to be able to keep giving you benefits. Um, unless you can meet certain requirements, yeah, which means you have to work for a charity or you have to make sure you're still applying for jobs and approve that you haven't been hired or, um, what, what else was it? The 20 hour, you have to work at least 20 hours a week and yeah. still not make enough money there. They have training programs that yeah, snap yeah. is paying for. You could just be participating in a work training program that snap is paying for. Yeah. And still be able to get your benefits. I mean, it's, it just makes me want to ask, like, what is the goal of these programs? Like, what do you want? Like, if uh, I think the problem is we don't even all agree on what our vision, what our goal is for these people. Like, well, do you want them to be receiving government assistance for, for the rest of their lives? Or do you want them to become productive members of society and be able to take care of themselves? And to think about this in a more emotional way, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your own loved ones. And maybe many of you do have people out there that struggle, right? We're, of course, the libertarian message, the liberty message, the American message is we do want to give people a helping hand. I mean, Americans donate more to charity than the next 20 countries combined. It's something like $800 billion in charity that we spend every single year. So 400 billion, I think. 400 billion. So the, you know, America as a beacon for philanthropy is top notch right yeah, yeah we are very giving charitable people because we don't like to see people suffering and that's but after what, getting three and a half trillion dollars robbed from us right against our will that's after yeah being robbed being yeah. extorted out of three and a half trillion we still give 400 billion away yeah um so but i want you to bring it close to home what i want you to do is think about your loved ones so if you have loved ones that are struggling, what do you want for your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad? What do you want for them ultimately? Right. Do you and, and think about it instead of them giving getting government assistance, they're getting assistance from you. 
right? Because, and, and I've been in this position sometimes where I've given money to family members or whatever. What do you want to see for them? Do you want them to be dependent on you for the rest of their lives? You know, to where you're always taking care of them, or do you want to see your loved ones thrive and have a great life and, and do something meaningful and something purposeful? That's the point where it's so, like, what does actually caring about your loved ones look like? Right. Now, you can help someone get through a tough time, but is it truly caring for the well-being of another person to make them dependent on you for everything they need for the rest of their life? Does that mean that you care about them? Really? Now, maybe you well, do care about them. beneficial if you can hold it over their head yeah. for something you want to happen. <laughs> yeah. And they get them to vote for you. It, this, so, okay. So it's, it works the same way. If you're doing it to a loved one to be like, oh, well, you have to come to my graduation because remember all those times I gave you money or whatever, you know, you can hold it over their head. The same thing government does like, oh, you yeah. have to vote for me because remember all those SNAP benefits I gave you, you know what I mean? So they use it as a government uses it as a tool. But I mean, what do you actually want? if you think about your loved ones and what you actually want for them to be able to have a sustaining, meaningful and purposeful life, you can draw that same conclusions with your fellow Americans who you don't know. And those that are receiving benefits, you know, you want them to not starve to death or be homeless or anything like that. Obviously you want people to live good lives. That's what I want. That's why we do what we do every single day because we want the most amount of people to live the most abundant full life they could possibly ever dream. Yeah. And so you give in charity and you help the people out that need help in a short period of time. But what you want for them to, is to have something meaningful for their, for their own life that they can build their own uh, dreams with. They can build their own life. They can have their own sustaining. They can be the ones that become successful and then be charitable. That's how we, we get out of this minds, this, uh, well, this mindset and the perpetual poverty and generational poverty and generational things that we see, especially in the inner city and things like that, where you have families upon families and generations upon generations who are just in this cyclical cycle, um, which those two words mean the same That's thing. Typically, <laughs> most cycles are most cycles are I've cyclical. seen were cyclical. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't say that word because of the list. Yeah. But they yeah. stay they stay there and they never actually become anything. Yeah. And so how in the world do you help people, but also give them the actual help they need, which is. Uh, being self-sufficient. That's where like, we don't have an agreement on what the end goal is. Because when we see the number of people that are receiving welfare benefits of any kind, when, when that number declines and you say 700,000 less people are going to be receiving welfare benefits, people on the left or more socialist type people see that as a bad thing. Like Obama touted it as a success that so many more people were added to welfare while he was the president. How was that a success? It's opposite. That's, that's a complete disregard for what your end goal is supposed to be, which is people being self-sufficient, which is them actually having their own individual liberty and living their own lives and not needing, not needing to take money from others so they can get by. It's not a success that more people are on welfare. That is not a success at all. We've doubled the amount of people on welfare in the last 20 years, and that is, that is not a win. That's not a win. That's a detriment. That means more of your population has to be dependent on other people to survive. How is that a positive thing? It's absolutely not. I wanted to play this video from Milton Friedman real quick, and then we'll talk about what our actual responsibility is as people. Um, this video is about three minutes long. If you don't want to listen to it, don't leave the podcast. Just hit the skip ahead 30 seconds button six times, and we'll be right back. But this guy's a genius. Yeah, just so. listen to him. Listen. First of all, the government doesn't have any responsibility. People have responsibility. This building doesn't have responsibility. You and I have responsibility. People have responsibility. Second, the question is, how can we as people exercise our responsibility toward our fellow man most effectively? That's the problem. So far as poverty is concerned, there has never in history been a more effective machine for eliminating poverty than the free enterprise system and the free market. The period in... 
the period in which you had the greatest improvement in the lot of the ordinary man was the period of the 19th and early 20th century. Those of us in this room are the heirs of that. We benefited from the way in which our parents and our grandparents were able to come here. And by virtue of the freedom that was offered to them, were able to make a better life for themselves and them and us. But next, if you look at the real problems of poverty and denial of freedom to people in this country, almost every single one of them is a result of government action and would be eliminated if you eliminated the bad government failures. We have constructed a governmental welfare scheme which has been a machine for producing poor people. We have induced people to come under control of welfare. We, I'm not blaming the people. Don't misunderstand me. It's our fault for constructing so ill-shaped a monster as the whole set of welfare programs we have under which we encourage people, uh, families to break up. We encourage people to move from one part of the country and come to another, under which we have, in effect, made many people poor. And yet, when all this is said and done, have I ever been where? Welfare, or poor, I have, sir, of course, of course, more so than most of the people in this room. How many of you have worked a 12-hour day and gotten paid 78 cents? <laughs> but let me go back to the, because, but you know that's all irrelevant. Is there one of you who is going to say that you don't want a doctor to treat you for cancer unless he himself has had cancer? <laughs> I could go down the line. But when all is said and done, while there are people in this country who are worse off than other people, by and large, the well, uh, the, even the poorest people in this country are relatively well off compared to the conditions in many other countries in the world. What we take as our standard of poverty, what we take as our standard of poverty, is above the average income of all of the people in the Soviet Union, let alone of the people in India or China or in other countries. Now that doesn't mean we should be satisfied with it. We are a wealthier country and we've been more productive. And we should set higher standards by ourselves. But by the same token, we ought to have a sense of proportion. And we ought to recognize both the source and the problem. Okay. Now he's good. He's always so good at explaining things. I could listen to Milton Friedman talk all day. Well, he was a Nobel Prize winning <laughs> economist. Yeah. So was he just a one-time Nobel Prize winning economist? <laughs> yeah, maybe he wasn't he, enough. He probably dreamt of becoming two-time Nobel Prize winning economist. <laughs> Can Milton you win Freeman. more than one Nobel Prize? I don't know. Has I anybody know. ever won more than one? I will have to look it up. I mean, Obama got one for a piece. Yeah. Obama bombs. got a Nobel Peace Prize like in the first <laughs> six months of his presidency. And then he bombed seven different countries while he was a president. That was pretty good. You know, started a, started a whole new war in Libya. Anyway, We've, we've talked about that at other times. But the good question here is, what is our responsibility? There's only been one. <laughs> one person who has won more than one Nobel Prize. Wow. And that was Linus Pauling. What did he do? He won the 1954 Nobel Prize in Chemistry and the 1962 Nobel Peace Prize. Okay. Yeah. Good for him. The only guy. No, no, what he was, was his a name? multiple Nobel laureate. Linus Pauling. Okay. Well... Good for him. Good yeah. for him. Um, so what is our responsibility to help the poor? Because I don't believe that welfare... Well, the, what are the, the person asked, what is government's responsibility or what is society's said, responsibility? What's society's responsibility? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. those are two different things. Yeah. Now, and what Milton Friedman said that, to highlight is that the government's not responsible. People are responsible. Yeah. yeah. So... We're the ones that are responsible for helping those that are less fortunate than us. And so what is society's responsibility? And that's where you have to have a good idea of what the end goal looks like. Like, what do you want for the people? Well, what you should want is a way for them to have a job and uh, to be able to be productive and earn a living and earn a decent enough income that they can have a nice, happy and meaningful life. 
And that's really what you should want for them. So if we can all have the right end goal in mind, then you have to ask, what's your responsibility to create the system, to create the world and the society where that has the highest likelihood of happening? And by all estimations that I can find, the free market and free market capitalism is the very best thing at doing that. That is the way that you create jobs, that you create wealth, that you create prosperity for the most amount of people. So if your end goal is those things for those people, then why the heck does the government do everything that it possibly can to limit the free market from doing what it does best? Well, and that's what Milton Friedman pointed out. Yeah. If you look at people who are poor, if you look at those that are worse off than the middle income or higher income people in America, most of their problems happen from barriers created by government. Yeah. Government makes it harder for especially people on the bottom tier to become more successful. I mean, do you know the paperwork and the headache and all the administrative costs and ridiculousness it is just to start a business? It's like just to file. And then you a have self-proprietorship or an LLC so you can operate legally. It's very it's annoying. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Even in Tennessee, it's annoying. Why can't I just provide a service to somebody and they can pay me money for it? That's a crazy idea, it's Charlie. Insane. I, don't, I don't know why two people should be able to voluntarily exchange value with one another. Now no. that's we need to regulate that. No, for sure. We need to make that as hard as possible to wh- have. Like, why do you need a license to braid hair? Yeah. That's insane. I know. That's why I cut my hair short. Because I, I couldn't find enough people with licenses <laughs> to braid my hair for me. I know. It's just, it's, it's completely insane. There's, and, there's an ongoing battle in Tennessee, at least. And I know this is happening across other states, but places like the Beacon Center and stuff like that, they're fighting against these ridiculous uh, licensure laws. Uh, I believe one in Tennessee was braiding hair. They did get that repealed. Another one was um, you had to have a license to know how to brush horses. <laughs> like you need a license for that. Now what these do, all these things, they caught like license costs money, right? You have to pay state regulators to offer the license, right? You have to have these training courses and people have to spend money. I mean, people now spend upwards of 40, 50, $80,000 to go to hair school, right? What that does is it keeps poor people who don't have the 40, 50, $80,000 to go to cosmetology school to be able to perform to cut your hair and let's be clear here where the source of that problem is that's not just you know a government politician who has nothing to do with any of these industries decided that they were going to place these rules in effect that's businesses that's people who are operating in those industries that are buying the right regulations to limit competition in the industry that they're working in they go to government yes and say hey government we want to keep competition out. Like your license to be a plumber. Listen, a plumbing company paid someone to write the, li- the rule that you had to have a license to be a plumber. I guarantee you, you trace it back probably to, uh, it might have even been a union that represented plumbers that made it to where you would have to have a license because then only their licensed people would be able to operate in that industry and they would be able to charge higher prices because there was less competition. Now, of course, we're talking about crony capitalism at that time. We're talking about crony capitalism. And this doesn't happen without the public deciding that the government can create regulation and can create rules that take away freedom from free individuals. Once you decide that, then it opens up the the entire world for crony capitalists to come in and buy off the system. When you refuse the idea that the government should be able to write regulations to hamper down competition in all of these markets. When the people refuse that, then there will no longer be any power for those corrupt people to buy off. So it's not writing more rules that stop people from buying off the people who write the rules. That's ridiculous. That's a, a, who's going to make sure that that person's not getting bought off and who's going to make sure that the person who's making sure that that person's not getting bought off is not getting bought off. You know, it it doesn't make any sense. The only thing you can do is decide as a country that people own themselves, that people can be free to exchange value with one another, 
and that we can decide what's best for ourselves and not the government. Oh, but Nate, but Nate, but Nate, but what about the greedy people that try to screw people over? Those people won't exist. They'll get found out. They'll That's get found happens. out. The more competition you have, the harder it will be for those people to exist. I mean, good Lord, even if you look at antitrust violations throughout the years, most of the antitrust cases were prosecuted against people who were charging too low of prices. Their prices were too low. And that's what the cases were against. It's, it's, because it's, low prices, that doesn't help the poor, does it? No, that no. doesn't help people at all. No. no, we need to make sure we keep the price higher. Yeah. So then you have like, you have the cycle of poverty, the cycle of welfare, and all of the incentives that are built into the system. Look, I don't even think I've ever told you this, but my grandparents looked at getting divorced so they could qualify for the right kind of government assistance. If you're going to act like these incentives aren't built into the system, they are. If you're single, if you're a single parent, you are much more likely to qualify for these types of government assistance. For higher benefits. For more benefits. Mm -hmm. I come from a town where people make a living finding ways to gain the government for more money, for more earned income tax credit. They literally will have kids with the stated public purpose of receiving more money from the earned income tax credit. They will sell rights to their children back and forth to other people in town and split the money that comes in come tax season. It is a real thing. They will stand outside the grocery store and sell their snap card that has money on it to people so they can go buy other stuff that's not for sale at the grocery store. This is a, this actually happens and just putting more money into the welfare system and acting like more people on welfare is a good thing. It just creates this vicious cycle of the more and more welfare, creating even more of a need for welfare, which creates even more of a need for welfare and never addresses the actual problem, which is that people need to find a way to be productive, to produce value for other people in their society. That is what everyone needs to find a, a way to do for their fellow human beings is to find a way to produce value for other people. Now, the goal for society, because you're always going to have people at the bottom because people always start at zero. Yeah. I mean, a newborn baby doesn't have many skills. No, and, and you know? their wealth is not very high. Yeah, their wealth is probably negative because those things are expensive. They are. They are. Let me trust me. I've got a three year old. And they cost money. He's not making you any money yet? No. Okay. No, the things that I could have in this life. <laughs> but I love them, and so I spend a lot of money on them. But here's the thing. Everyone starts- You probably would have been in Billboard Top 40 twice by now. I know, at least. <laughs> at least. Um, but but the everyone, there's always going to be a bottom 10% or bottom 1% or whatever you want to say. So in my what I truly believe in and what the- societal obligation should be is you should freely give to people in need um, of, from your own accord. You shouldn't yeah. advocate that it's government mandated because one, we've already explained how inefficient government is at providing anything. 30 to 40% of costs get tied up in administrative costs anyway by paperwork that has to be filled out, tracking people who maybe aren't applying for jobs or following these rules or not following those rules. And, Oh, they're going to take them off and now they're going to put them back on. You have buildings filled with people lined up, trying to get all of this stuff, eliminate all that crap. Yeah. You know, eliminate all of it. Like I've volunteered at the uh, second harvest food bank. Uh, I've sent money in for uh, adoption and fostering. I've sent money in for uh, other poor programs. I've helped people myself by stroking a check. Yeah. You know, you actually should, if you are fortunate enough to have more than your fellow man, you help them in any way that you can. I had this conversation, a hilarious conversation with this socialist friend of mine, and she was saying that her mom would not have been able to survive if it were not for the thousand dollars a month she was getting from the government, that her mom would not have made it. And so I said, hey, how much money do you pay in taxes every month? She said, I don't know, about $1,500, something like that. I was like, so if you weren't getting taxed 
a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars every single month, you could just help your mom while she needed help with that money and have money left over and have money left over. And she was like, "Yeah, I guess so. I guess I, I guess I I would be able to help her then." And then she would be getting that money. She'd be getting that money from me instead of the the thing is like we should all take the responsibility to so help those around. She paid us. in fifteen hundred a month. If, if we use this, this is not how it works. But think about it like this: this is kind of how it works. She sent in fifteen hundred a month. The government used five hundred dollars in administrative costs. Yeah, uh, close to. And then gave the thousand. Well, they they transferred. A, they built a road, and then they transferred. Yeah, they yeah. transferred the thousand dollars to her mom. Yeah, so her mom got a thousand dollars and a road. Yeah, well, she works for the government too, so which is really yeah. funny because all of her income was from other people's tax money anyway. So, but we won't even get into that. But but even like, let's say you got to keep your tax money. Those people who, I mean, you at least. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but if you're making five hundred, let's say you're making fifty thousand dollars a year. And that's that's low middle income now, because I think a family of four middle income across America is about 70, 80 grand. Let's say you're making fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, You're getting taxed about a thousand dollars a month is what's coming out of your paycheck before you even see it. Like, what if you had ask yourself what you could do with that extra thousand dollars a month? Yeah. Like you could maybe build up a savings. You could maybe donate a couple hundred dollars to your favorite charity. You could add the 4K Netflix special now you know you could pay that 16 dollars a month instead of 10 and that's a dude we've spent 27 trillion dollars not only that but you made a good point the other day we've actually since america's existed we spent a hundred trillion dollars yeah, i actually did 100 trillion i actually pulled up all the tax receipts since we started the income tax since we started taxing people over the last hundred years and it's a hundred trillion before inflation Pre yeah. pre inflation numbers, just a hundred trillion is a hundred trillion dollars we've taken out of the productive side of our economy. Specifically, twenty seven trillion on the war on poverty. Yeah, but since nineteen seventy three, we've spent twenty seven trillion dollars fighting poverty. Yet Bernie Sanders wants you to believe that if we could just take a few billion more, we'll be able to solve homelessness. We'll be able to solve poverty. It's not the problem. And the it's truth the, is, since they've been taxing, we've spent a hundred trillion dollars. And what have we gained? I don't, we've our country has succeeded, and we've created all of these things despite the government leeching off of the people this entire time. Like I what have, could we have? I if, have these amazing libertarian dreams of what our society would look like if that hundred trillion dollars had stayed in the hands of people who were productive and efficient. I mean, can you just imagine? I mean, we've talked about roads. Like if private companies were actually doing the roads and they were in control of it, uh, if it mattered, right, then we could at least have roads that automatically melt snow. Yeah. Just think about that. Like that one thing. Dude, where, we're, where we are going, we wouldn't even need roads at that time. Like we would already be at a point where just roads... <laughs> Do you know they, had, they used to have to use roads? <laughs> Are you kidding me? We used to think the government had to exist to build roads. Who's used a road? That's like something that your grandpa <laughs> uses because he doesn't like his flying car. Like, yeah. come on, that's ridiculous. Or his boring his, uh, tunnel <laughs> yeah. travel. I mean, the, just imagining the thing, the possibilities of what it could look like if we had kept that hundred trillion. It's insane. I was going to, speaking of the end goal, uh, getting people to where they can be productive, where they can work somewhere and actually support themselves. We had this comment come through on our TikTok. Guys, go follow us on TikTok. Um, it's blowing up, man. It's, it's blowing up. So we had this comment come through on on TikTok, and I, you know, I had heard, I I had heard that that people did feel this way, and but I had never actually seen it with my own eyes, and it really, it really deeply upset me. You it, never? It really, really deeply upset me seeing this. <laughs> um, he said, we were talking about uh, employers and whether or not people were wage slaves, whether or not everyone was being exploited. It, all employers are exploiting their employees. Their workers. So the point I'm trying to get across is, chicken or the egg scenario which one has to come first does the do all the employers band together and form a business or does someone decide that they're going to take out a risk and that's how the business forms this person said they didn't build and create that place the workers did 
they're just the lucky ones that get to own it and unjustly live off of others' labor. This isn't hard. I mean, just completely insane. And the, so I made a video talking about it, and what I was trying to get across is which one of these has to happen first? Listen, guys, if a, if a worker-owned company is the best idea, then go into your socialist Facebook group, say, hey, guys, I started the bank account. Everyone put in some money, and we're going to build a building, and we're going to start making stuff, and we're going to sell it to people, and everything's going to be great. No one's doing that because it's a terrible idea. Let me tell you something, Nate. Yeah. I own a company. You do. And I've got two people working for me so far. I'm looking for the million workers that are going to build this thing up for me. Yeah. And I don't see them. They're waiting for you to offer them a job. Well, yeah. I guess I'll (laughs) offer them a job and just have them build it for me so I can sit up top. They're waiting for you to take out the risk (laughs) to do this. It's such a weird con. I don't see the workers building this up for me. It's very simple. If our end goal is that people need jobs and they need better jobs, better paying jobs, if they need to find a way to be productive in our society, if that is your end goal, is for people to be productive and have a good life, then you want to figure out how to create that. And the way you create that is by allowing for the environment, for the free market to do what the free market has done best over all of these years and create new jobs, create new wealth, create new inventions and innovations so more people can find a way to be productive. And if you want to trace that back to its origin, it is not with all of the workers banding together and pooling their money and their resources and building a business and making group decisions on how to create the world's biggest retail chain or the world's best website for for sending people products. Because that's not what has happened. It could happen. There's no law saying it can't happen. What needs to happen is that a a, someone who wants to own a business or wants to be an investor in a business has to risk money, has to risk capital and time and put everything they have into creating that business with the risk that it's going to completely fail. 70% of businesses fail to last more than 10 years. 70% of them. Where are the people clamoring for the ownership of the 70% of failed businesses? over the last 10 years? Where are the people fighting for ownership of those companies? No, they want ownership of like the 10 companies that everyone can name. That's what they want. You gotta trace this back to how is all of this created? And it's created by allowing people to take the risk, to reap the benefits of the rewards from that risk, so more people will be incentivized to take those risks and create more things, to actually reap the benefits So we have more creation, as many jobs open as possible. The best thing for you as a worker is to have the most amount of job opportunities that there possibly could be. Because the more job opportunities there are out there, the higher you can ask for your labor price. Everything is an auction. You're sitting at an auction and you're waiting on a business to come and bid for your time. Do you want one person sitting at the auction or do you want the entire room packed full of people bidding for your time? You're going to get a higher price the more people are packed in that auction room. And that's what we have to create. That's what the free market creates. That is not what the government does. The government destroys that. You know, in the last 10 years, it's a new decade, right? 2020. Yeah. You know, in the last 10 years, we've world poverty has been halved. Yeah, that's that's big. Yeah, that's a big thing. And in fact, the UN predicts by the year 2032, so in the next decade, basically, that there's going to be no one living in abject poverty, which is defined as making less than a dollar ninety a day. Yeah, in today's money, a dollar ninety. So basically, two bucks a day. That's abject poverty. The UN predicts in the next decade, no one's going to be there. Everyone's going to be making more than two dollars a day. Now, do you really think that it's you think that's all been accomplished by government bureaucrats? No. By centralized people making the most awesome decisions, redistributing wealth, doing all those things that we think that you guys think that that government does or do you really think it's done it's been done through 
basically almost free markets in capitalism. No, actually, I think you could look at all the countries that have the highest poverty levels where people are really living in very, very bad poverty. And you could actually see that none of them have a free market whatsoever. They've all got some oppressive regime or dictator that is stealing all of the rewards from any of their any of their labor if if there is any if if there is any i went to when i was traveling playing music we went through a country called djibouti in africa uh it's right next to somalia and ethiopia obviously very 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 poor place i saw people living in i mean well first off if they were lucky they had like eight sticks and some pieces of cardboard and some sheets if they were lucky and that's where they lived there wasn't as much cardboard because that's what they fed their goats they feed their goats cardboard and then they eat the goats later okay but in this country the people in the government the people in the government lived in some of the nicest most beautiful palaces i have ever seen massive mansions all of the money any money that came through that country was completely seized by their governments. And that's what you see around the world. That's, that's exactly what you see, is where there is the most poverty, you have the least free market that there could possibly be. And we want to change that. That's why we do this podcast. That's why, that's why we do this every day, because this message is important. It needs to get out to the most amount of people possible. I want to tell you guys one more time, if you want to sponsor your own Facebook ad, where we will run it, whatever the topic is, as long as it's pro-liberty, if you want to talk about the wealth tax or talk about taxation or whatever it is that you want to sponsor, you can become a sponsor on our page and that money will go directly in the Facebook ads to get messages like this out in front of as many people as possible. With as little as $3 a month, you can get this message out in front of thousands of people. Literally thousands of people can see articles with all of these types of facts and figures and important things inside them. That's the most important thing that all of us can do is take the responsibility upon ourselves to get this message out there, to get the right information out in front of the most amount of people possible. You can go to gmlconnect.com and the very first button is going to be one that says support the show and that's going to take you to where you can sign up for it you and i will email back and forth you will talk about what it is what article specifically you want to sponsor or if it's a milton friedman video or if it's a ron paul video whatever it is that you want to sponsor and we'll put that money directly in the facebook ads for that topic so just go to gmlconnect.com if you guys want to do that you can follow us on TikTok, on instagram at Good Morning Liberty on Twitter at Good AM Liberty and look us up on Facebook. It's Good Morning Liberty. It's actually Good Morning Liberty podcast on Facebook. And you can go to GoodMorningLiberty.us if you guys want to read some great articles on politics and economics. Another way to support this show is share it with a friend or share it with an enemy. You know, the yeah. friend of my friend is an enemy, or keep your friends close and your enemies closer, something like that. Share it with an enemy. Yeah. Share it with a friend too. Send it to five people. That was very confusing. I don't. I don't know what you want me to do. Send it to five people. Okay. Share the show with five people, and uh, just see what the response is. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about liberty, and then leave us a rating and review, five stars, if you think it's worth it. Which it which it absolutely, most certainly is. Yeah. Worth five stars. Tell us what you like about the show. We've gotten some new reviews in this that have been great. Uh, people telling us that this they're adding they're adding this to this their daily routine. Uh, if you love liberty, then you have to <laughs> listen to Good Morning Liberty. Some people said we're funny, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> One of my funny. most important things I saw as a review was that they didn't agree with everything that we have to say. You know, they're probably more Republican, conservative, something like that. They didn't agree with everything we had to say, but that we were opening up their their eyes or their mind to some of these ideas yeah and that's if you're a libertarian thing consider that is make that the review that you get for everything that you do as a libertarian that you can get someone to consider you tolerable enough 
that they will listen through all the crap that they disagree with and actually hear your message and actually consider some of your points. Don't just alienate everyone and make everyone hate you. We, the Libertarian Party's tried that for like 50 years. It's obviously not working. In fact, they said our version of libertarianism yeah. Yeah. Is, is opening up their mind to, to our policies. Yeah. So, you know, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. It's that simple. Uh, I, I think everybody can agree with that. Own yourself. Yeah. Own yourself. Own the product of what yourself accomplishes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty simple. That's really easy. Yeah. You can't share that with a friend. You're telling me. <laughs> You can't share that message with your friends or your enemies. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. You own yourself. That's pretty easy. So share it with a friend. If you guys do all that, we'll be back again on Monday live from Nashville. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty.